0: Chapter 10 of The Sign of the Cross in the Nineteenth Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Portelli. The Sign of the Cross in the Nineteenth Century by Jean Guamet. Letter 10 Second and Third Way in Which the Pagans Made the Sign of the Cross Testimonies The Pietas Publica The Pagans acknowledged a mysterious power in the sign of the cross. Whence came that belief? Great mystery of the moral world. Importance of the sign of the cross in the sight of God. The sign of the cross in the physical world words of the fathers and of Plato, inconsistency of the ancient and modern pagans, reason of the especial hatred of the demon for this holy sign. Coming out of college after ten years of Greek and Latin studies, we do not know the first word of pagan antiquity. Education continually shows us the upper side of the cards, but never the underside. What happens in France, I have reason to believe, happens also among our neighbours. Hence it comes, my dear friend, that the fact with which I am about to entertain you will be for many a strange novelty. Here it is. When a Roman army began to lay siege to a city, The first operation of the general, whoever he might be, whether Camillus, Fabius, Metellus, Caesar or Scipio, was not to dig trenches or raise lines of circumvallation, but to evoke the gods, the defenders of the city, and to call them into his camp. The formula of evocation is too long for a letter. You will find it in Macrobius. Now then, in pronouncing it, the general made the sign of the cross twice, first as did Moses and the early Christians, and as the priest does now at the altar. With hands extended towards heaven, he pronounced in supplication the name of Jupiter. Then full of confidence in the efficacy of his prayer, he devoutly crossed his hands upon his breast. Behold here the sign of the cross under two forms, incontestable, universal and perfectly regular. If this remarkable fact is generally ignored, there is another a little less so. The custom of praying with outstretched arms was familiar to the pagans of the East and West. On this point there is no difference between them, the Jews and ourselves. Read your classics over again. Livy says to you, On their knees they raised their suppliant hands to heaven and to the gods. Dionysius of Halicarnassus, Brutus, hearing of the misfortune and death of Lucretia, raised his hands to heaven and invoked Jupiter and all the gods. And Virgil, Father Anchises, on the shore, his hands raised, invoked the great gods and Athanasius, Darius having heard with what regard Alexander treated his captive daughters, stretched his hands towards the sun, and begged that if he himself were not to reign, the empire might be given to Alexander. In fine, Apuleius declares formally that this manner of praying was not an exception, or as some young moderns would qualify it, an eccentricity but a permanent custom the attitude of those who pray says he is to raise the hands to heaven an instinct which I will call traditional for otherwise it would have no name taught them the value of this mysterious sign to be able to make it at their last moments was for them an assured pledge of salvation if death says Arian should surprise me in the midst of my occupations it will be enough for me that I be able to raise my hands to heaven. Take notice that he does not say if I can fall on my knees, or strike my breast, or bow my forehead to the dust, but if I can extend my arms in the form of a cross and raise them towards heaven. And why this? Ask your companions. Ask them why the Egyptians placed the cross in their temples prayed before that adorable sign and looked upon it as an omen of future happiness when in the time of theodosius relate the greek historians socrates and sozomen they were destroying the temples of the false gods they found that of serapis in egypt full of stones marked with the sign of the cross This made them say to the neophytes that between Jesus Christ and Serapis there was something in common. They added that among them the cross signified the future age. Among the Romans this same instinct was transferred by a fact of which I would be inclined to doubt did I not have weighty proof of it in an antique medal placed before my eyes knowing on the one side the efficacy of the sign of the cross which I have described, yet on the other not being willing, like Moses or the early Christians, to remain with their arms in the form of a cross during all their prayers, what did they do? They imagined a goddess commissioned to intercede continually for the republic and represented her in the attitude of Moses on the mount. Therefore in Rome, In the centre of the Forum Olitorium, where are now to be seen the ruins of the theatre of Marcellus, was raised the statue of the Goddess called Pietas Publica. She is represented standing, with her arms outstretched in the form of a cross, absolutely like Moses on the mount, or the early Christians in the catacombs. She has moreover, at her left an altar on which burns incense the school of prayer. On the impetritory and adoring value of the sign of the cross, the Far East agreed with the West, the Chinese with the Romans. Would you believe that Hian Yuen, an emperor of China, in times so ancient as to be almost mythological, had, like Plato, foreseen the mystery of the cross? To honour the Most High, that ancient emperor joined two pieces of wood together, one straight, the other transverse. Thus, of the seven ways of making the sign of the cross, three were known to the pagans and practised religiously by them, particularly on important occasions. All this is very well, you will say, but did they know what they were doing? was it not a sign purely arbitrary, and therefore insignificant, from which we can draw no conclusions? That the pagans understood the sign of the cross as we do, is what I would not pretend to say. It was with them, as with the figures among the Jews. In their eyes it had a real signification, a considerable value, although more or less mysterious, according to the places, times, and persons you know of letters written with sympathetic ink. At first sight, the characters, although really traced, are scarcely apparent, but when brought near the fire, they immediately appear and are perfectly legible. Such was the sign of the cross among the pagans. When struck with the rays of evangelical light, this clare obscure no more changed its nature than did the figures of the Old Testament, but like them it became intelligible to all, it discovered itself, it spoke. To believe that among the pagans this sign was an arbitrary one is a supposition that falls of itself. Anything universal is never arbitrary, the sign of the cross less so than anything else. Here, my dear Frederick, we touch upon one of the most profound mysteries of the moral order. Forget not that my present aim is to show in the sign of the cross a treasure that enriches us. To be enriched man must ask and God must give. In order that God may hear man, man must be agreeable in the sight of God. Deus peccatores non exaudit. No one is pleasing to God but his Son and those who are like him. Now the Son of God The only mediator between God and man is a living sign of the cross, a sign eternally living from the beginning of the world, Agnus Ocissus Ab Origine Mundi. He is the crucified, and the great crucified is the new Adam, the type of mankind. In order to be agreeable to God, it is necessary that man should resemble his divine model and be crucified be a living sign of the cross. Such, like that of the word himself, is his destiny upon earth. As a beggar, this is principally the position he must take when he presents himself before God to ask for alms. Providence has not wished that he should be ignorant of this condition necessary for success. Man has no more lost the knowledge of the instrument of his redemption than of his fall. And his hope in the Redeemer. Hence the existence and practice of the sign of the cross in prayer among all nations from the beginning of ages even to our own day. God has not only engraven the instinct of the sign of the cross on the heart of man, in order to keep ever present, even to his corporal eyes, the necessity of this salutary sign, and to make him understand. sovereign part which it must play in the moral world. The Creator has willed that in the material world everything should be done by this sign, that all in it should show this necessary action and reproduce its image. Listen to men who had eyes to see. It is exceedingly remarkable, says Gretzer, that from the very beginning of the world God has been pleased to keep the figure of the cross continually before the eyes of mankind and has so organized things that man can scarcely do anything without the intervention of the sign of the cross. Gretzer is the hundredth echo of traditional philosophy. Listen to others. Look, say they, at everything in the world and see if all is not governed and put in motion by the sign of the cross. The bird that flies in the air The man that swims in the water or that offers a prayer makes the sign of the cross and can act only by it. To gain a fortune and to seek riches at the extremity of the world, the navigator needs a ship. The ship cannot sail without a mast, and the mast and the sail yards form the cross. Without it no government is possible, no fortune is to be hoped for. The husbandman seeks food from the earth the food of the rich and of kings to obtain it he must have a plough the plough cannot open the earth unless it be armed with the ploughshare and the plough and with the ploughshare forms the cross if this sign is the means by which man acts over nature it is also the instrument of his actions over his fellow creatures in battle is it not the sight of the flag that animates the soldiers What do we see on the Roman Canterbra and Siparia of the standards, if not a cross? Both one and the other were gilded lances, surmounted with a piece of wood, placed horizontally, from which depended a veil of purple and gold. The eagles with outspread wings placed on the top of the lances, and the other military insignia always surmounted by two extended wings, invariably Remind us of the sign of the cross, the trophies and monuments of victories gained always formed a cross. The religion of the Romans was all warlike. They adored their standards, swore by their standards, preferred them to all their gods, and all their standards were crosses. Omnes ili imaginum suggestus insigne monilia crucium sunt. Therefore, when Constantine wished to perpetuate the remembrance of the cross by which he had vanquished, he was not obliged to change the imperial standard, but contented himself with causing the cipher of Christ to be engraven on it, as if it was only necessary to name him of whom he had had the vision, and not the object of that vision. Man in his turn is distinguished exteriorly from beasts because he can stand and extend his arms, and man standing in this posture forms the cross. We are also commanded to pray in this attitude, to the end that our members themselves should proclaim the passion of the Lord. When our soul and body, each after its manner, confess Jesus on the cross, then it is that our prayers are more speedily granted. Heaven itself is disposed in the form of the cross what do the four cardinal points represent if not the four arms of the cross and the universality of its salutary virtue the whole creation bears the impress of the cross has not plato himself written that the power nearest to the first god is extended over the world in the form of a cross hence the peremptory response of Minucius felix to the pagans who reproach the Christians for making the sign of the cross. Is not the cross everywhere? said he to them. Your ensigns, your banners, the standards of your camps, your trophies, what are they, if not crosses gilded and ornamented? Do not you, as well as we, pray with extended arms? In that solemn attitude, do you not use formulas by which you proclaim one only God? Do you not, then, resemble the Christians who adore one only God and have the courage to confess their faith in the midst of torments, with their arms extended in the form of a cross between you and us? What difference is there when, with your arms outstretched in the form of a cross, you say, Great God, True God, if God wishes? Is this the natural language of the pagan, or rather the prayer of the Christian then either the sign of the cross is the foundation of natural reason or it serves as the basis of your religion why then added some other apologists why do you persecute it and I also my dear Frederick can address the same question to the modern pagans why do you persecute the sign of the cross why are you ashamed of it why do you pursue with your sarcasms those who have the courage to make it. The answer is the same today as in former times. Satan, the great ape of God, put himself in competition with the sign of the cross. He permitted the pagans to make it for his own profit. The perfidious wretch, he was glad to see men employ for his worship and their own loss, even that sign destined for the adoration of the true God and their salvation as to the Christians it was otherwise by them the sign of the cross was brought back to its true destination it honored the true God and in particular the Incarnate Word the object of the personal hatred of Satan from whom he rescued man his victim then in the Christian the sign of the cross became an object of raillery a crime deserving of death nothing has changed therefore In our day, the sign of the cross is an object of mockery with the slaves of Satan. But when employed in profane uses or occult practices, it provokes neither their hatred nor sarcasm. Whence come, then, among the wicked of every age, those dispositions, in appearance so contradictory of love and hatred, of respect and contempt for this adorable sign? From Satan himself's, answers Tertullian, Spirit of lies, it is his part to alter truth and turn the most holy things to the prophet of idols. He baptizes his faithful, assuring them that water will remit their sins. In this way, he initiates into the worship of Mithras. He marks his soldiers on the forehead. He celebrates the oblation of the bread. He promises resurrection and a crown bought by the sword. What do I say? He has a sovereign pontiff to whom he forbids a second marriage. He has his virgins. He has his chaste ones. If we examine in detail the superstitions established by Numa, the sacerdotal officers, the insignia, the privileges, the order, and details of the sacrifices, the sacred utensils, even the vessels used for the sacrifices, all the objects employed for expiations and prayers, Is it not manifest that the demon, the robber of Moses, has counterfeited all these? And since the gospel, the imitation still continues. Satan goes still further. Knowing all the power of the sign of the cross, he has wished to make of it a personal symbol, that by this substitution he may engross all the homage due from the world to the crucified God. Instructed by the prophetic oracles, says Firmicus Maternus, the implacable enemy of mankind has made that which was established for the salvation of the world serve as the instrument of iniquity. What are those horns which he boasts of having? The caricature of those of which the inspired prophet of God speaks, and which you, Satan, believe you can adapt to your hideous figure how can you seek in them for ornament and glory those horns are but the figure of the venerable sign of the cross now the forehead marked with the sign of the cross makes him shudder with rage he finds no torments cruel enough to punish him who bears the image of the incarnate word see dear friend how he treats our fathers our mothers our brothers and sisters, the martyrs of all times and all countries. Sometimes he causes the skin to be torn off their foreheads, and on the naked bones to be stamped with a red hot iron the marks of ignominy. Again, he causes others to be cloven through in the form of a cross, or to be compressed with ropes until they are entirely deformed, or to be beaten with ox's sinews, until they are rendered unrecognisable. A great lesson. Let this hatred of Satan for the sign of the cross be the measure of our love for the adorable sign and our confidence in it. You shall see tomorrow that it has other claims on these two sentiments. End of the Tenth Letter Recording by Michael Portelli